and it's like I think they're in a world where like they slavery is like fine, but like not it's not, I don't think it's like race race based race based slavery. They just have slaves, and like um I think Jake was like, hey, Cassie's being too nice to her slave. I'm gonna report her to whatever the hell. And it starts uh, off like that without telling you what the out, hell is going on, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, we are live with another episode of the Keeg Talks. Today, we're going to be talking about a 20-something-year-old series, uh, and it's 2023, and we're here to talk about Animorphs. And if you haven't heard about Animorphs, um, I mean, that makes sense, because it hasn't been around much lately, because it started out in 1996. It was a book series by Scholastic. I'm your host, Dimitri Pereira. And this is the show brought to you by The Key, where we talk about a different topic every single week. And this week, we are talking about Animorphs, and it's been 20-something years in the making. So uh, I can't talk about this alone. And if you are watching this on our live stream, twitch.tv slash The Key Show or youtube.com slash The Key Show, you can see who my guests are uh, or listen to the podcast where you can't see who our guests are. But either way, watch us, listen to us wherever you want. Here are our guests. First up, we got Kirby Alice, a.k.a. Kirby Alice. Kirby, how you doing? Just fine. How are you? Doing good. Um, <laughs> all the guests here have been talking about Animorphs lately uh, on TikTok uh, and, and maybe some other platforms. Um, I'm glad to have you, Kirby. You've been you've been doing some in-depth stuff. Yeah, I haven't talked about Animorphs in a video in a while, but um, it maybe is definitely a, long time ago. a strong memory, yeah, <laughs> of when I was younger. <laughs> How would you describe your content in general? Uh, right now, I'm doing a lot of Song of Ice and Fire stuff. I kind of, I kind of go in phases. Uh, the hyperfixation just kind of grabs me, and then for like six months, there we are. Um, so that's what I've been doing currently. I try and branch out when I have other thoughts, but um, you know, sometimes you just get stuck in a rut. And I'm like, I'm going to make this kind of content until I'm sick of it, and hopefully, that's when other people are also sick of it. But that's where I am right now. So you never know. Uh, I don't have I an organization. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I I I'm the same way with the hyperfixation thing, except I build my hyperfixation in a weird way where I'm like everybody says like a mile wide an inch deep, but I'm like I'm already a mile wide. I'm building more. And so it's like so I'll come back to it and you know, try to do that. Other people yep. spend a lot of time on one thing and then hop over and just like leave it behind. That's like my dad. That's my my dad does that. And he'll never get to it again. It's like, okay, cool. Everybody has a different thing. I think we all have a hyperfixation thing. I think everybody on this yeah. on this show. Uh, but I'm glad to have you, Kirby. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, we also got Lucky Lefty. Uh, Lefty, how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty good. Rock solid, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. I uh, Last time I saw you, uh, or at least had you on the show, it was on the King Chats uh which is our instagram live chat show um things going well since then um lots of big changes <laughs> lots of big moves lots of different places but i'd say things are going well right now i'm falling that's, into a nice little rhythm so hopefully it stays that way that's good it's been a while so i would hope things you know the changes have been better yes hopefully <laughs> yeah yeah uh, well, last but uh, what sorry oh one would hope right <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I hope for for you for your sake. Uh, we also got we also got Pat himself, Diamond Quality, Blank, 
Is your diamond <laughs> quality everything? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Diamond quality cosplay, uh, diamond quality photography, because I started doing that. Um, and on, but on TikTok, diamond quality clips. All right. All right. Luckily, uh, if you're watching the live stream, you can see everybody's social media and their displays. Uh, I haven't made up all here. So um, if you're watching the live stream, you can see where to follow Kirby, Lefty, and Pat. Um, today's episode, we're going to talk about Animorphs. And Animorphs uh, was a Scholastic book series that came out in 1996. And depending how old uh, any of us are, or depending how old any of the listeners are, they might have found out about Animorphs in different ways. Uh, the book series, I think, was 1996 to 2001, which is like prime elementary school for me. Um, that, that That's how old I am. And so uh, Animorphs was a big thing to me. Like, was it, how'd you guys get into it? How'd you guys find out about it? Um, me personally, I was at my local library, haha, Arthur joke, um, and... You, Is that an Arthur was, joke? Yeah, there's like, a, there's like a whole Arthur song about, song. like, your library card or whatever. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's like a meme. I love um, Arthur. <laughs> nice. I hope we all did. Let's do an Arthur um, episode. No. Okay. Let's do it, Arthur. <laughs> um, but I was, I was looking for a book, and I saw an Animorphs book, and it had a killer whale on it. And I really, like, killer whales at the time were my favorite animal. So I was like, oh, hell yes. I got to see what's going on here. Mind you, yeah. Animorphs dropped in, like, 1996. I was born in 97. So this is probably, like, well after, like, the, like, social zeit Like, well after the series had left the social zeitgeist. Um, yeah. I think, like, 2002, 2003, maybe. Um, and I picked it up, and I started reading it. And it was, at the time, I enjoyed it. Looking back on it and looking back at like reception to that book specifically, it's kind of like the worst one in the series. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, which one was that? Well, it that was, was the, the mutation. That's the one where they found the um, the, the Atlantis. Atlantis. Yes. Yeah. Oh, they almost got taxidermied. That one. Yeah. That, yeah. When they almost got okay. taxidermied. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, not only taxidermied. I think that like they insinuated that they would be bred with. Yes, yeah. they insinuated that they were going to steal their like DNA or like. Um, man juices or you know um and like use them for things yeah. um because the species was largely inbred undersea because you know it was like a very small society and they were yeah <laughs> to be fair really that funny. was they a like, filler that was a filler episode that was very much a filler episode yes yes and they never talked about it again no no <laughs> they never went back they're like good good riddance yeah, at, the, at the very end, Rachel's all like, oh yeah, one day we're going to go back and we're going to like liberate all the uh, you know, ships that were stolen from all these places. Yeah, And then the series ends and we cut to like years later and no one brings it up at all. <laughs> that there's just this, in, this underwater race of, not even aliens, just underwater race of people stealing yeah. boats from different cultures. So to, to be fair to any listeners uh, and or watchers out there, also I'm a little blurry, but hopefully... It, my webcam refocuses. Um, to be fair, Animorphs was that book series with with kids turning into animals on the cover, and it was like this, like uh, they used like computer uh, uh, graphics to kind of make it happen. Um, David B. Mattingly was the artist on that one, um, but it's a book about five kids who get the power to turn into animals from a dying alien prince. Because there's an alien invasion coming, 
and only they can stop this invasion or save the world, uh, so to speak. Um, some people just kind of looked at the covers and they're like, oh, cool. The covers are cool. Uh, but the inside story of the book is about child soldiers, the horror horrors of war, and then every so often a filler book about mute, uh, you know, inbred Atlanteans or uh, really tiny alien invaders like oh, yes. <laughs> the Helmicrons, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. There were a good amount of filler books, but for the most, for the whole, the mutation that book doesn't like represent the series but yeah no <laughs> God. it's just funny that i started off there <laughs> it is that is yeah Harry, uh you... that's wild and then you just read all of them um i didn't so i basically i didn't you know i would like try to find them you know at various yeah. points and i did not read them in order i think actually the second one i read was um the penultimate book um oh yeah uh so wow. yeah, good starts there I would find them at school sometimes and I'll just, re just read them wherever I could. So I never got to like read like all of them in order until um, last year. Last year was, um, I think at some point I'd seen Kay Applegate uh, say that like, oh, hey, here's like, like someone pirated the books basically and like um, had like a big, like a zip file of all of them. And Kay Applegate was like, go ahead, take it, go read it. I was like, okay. So I... I found it, opened it up, and spent an entire summer reading the books like for the first time from beginning to end. That's that's crazy. Yeah, but crazy good. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy good. Crazy good. Crazy good. Um, all right, all right. Uh, Kirby Lefty. Oh, either man. of you want to? Sure. You guys got stories? Uh, yeah, I have many. I think first of all, I think it's a something about the quality of Animorphs as a series. If somebody's first book is Atlantis. And they <laughs> I keep going <laughs> oh gosh um for me personally I was on a school field trip to a certain library and I was bored to tears and I was browsing through and I pulled it out because I loved animals animals were my life as a small child and still are now and I saw the cover and my little sick freak mind was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I am so fascinated by this. I must know what contents reside within it. Um, and it wasn't the first book either. It was the book where um, Tobias has that talk with the um, Elemist and the Elemist gives him back his ability to morph, but, not, but doesn't turn him back into a human. He just gives him his morphing ability back because the Elemist is a cruel, <laughs> cruel god. Um, but I remember being like really like intrigued by like that whole concept of like a huge like the horror aspect of that like a human mind trapped in not an animal body and like this like I want my humanity back but also I need to keep this form in order to save humanity I found that a very interesting struggle and yeah very similar case for me I was browsing libraries I read them also out of order and didn't read them in order until um I think 2021 um but I think about it quite a bit. I feel like it's a very difficult series to forget. It it hurts me when I think about it. Like I get the most most painful nostalgia when I think about my first love. You know, definitely. Oh yeah, and it was definitely one of those first love series for me. I was never into them um, at that point. I think I was maybe eight or nine when I read them for the first time I wasn't into per Percy Jackson or Harry Potter and those were like the big like like 
children's book series that were super popular, but that was the one that really just sapped my interest. And I was I was into it for a very long time, like up until like twelve or thirteen, I would reread th those books constantly. And I still have yeah. a lot of nostalgia for it, even as an adult. Yeah, it it talk about a hyperfixation. It was oh. my, it was like I mean I I read Star Wars books at the time, but like the two big book series at the time was Goosebumps and Animorphs. Like at that moment in time, it was before Harry Potter. Then Harry Potter comes in and cleans everything out, right? But Goosebumps and Animorphs were the two biggest book series for a good three or four years. Wow. Um, and then Harry Potter comes in and yes. they gets were serialized, New York weren't they? Sorry, they were serialized. You got one a month for like four yes. or five years. Okay. Uh, yeah. For because I was too young was, when they were yeah. coming out, but I remember that that's they did this classic book fairs and they would come out new ones like like Goosebumps every month, which is crazy when you think about it. That is crazy. But, yeah. I uh no, I have my stories, but I I will I will get to it. Uh, Kirby, how did you how did you find out about Animorphs? Yeah, well, I started late as well because I was like very young when they were coming out, but um, I think I found oh no, I remember I found um at like a half price bookstore they would sell them a lot like in bundles like you get a few at a time and the first ones that I started with it was the David trilogy where it's oh. that kid that like is at their school and they make him into one and then he's evil and then they have to like war crime him those were the first three that I read and I was like fascinated oh my gosh I figured these kids are crazy what are they gonna do next I mean I didn't read them in order either I think I say I think I found the last one and I like saved that one it's like I have to at least understand what's happening before I read this one but I did eventually um I remember really liking the Chronicles books like those were more intense I guess and I really yeah. like those and I really the Elemis Chronicles book made me like insufferable for a good three months after I read it I remember that it made me like the worst person ever because I thought I was like a genius but it was a great book when I was you know nine <laughs> but it made me awful so did you so you started with Dave the David trilogy which by the way mm -hmm. is arguably the best like like part of Animorphs lore is like kind of is, you know what you're getting into yeah this trilogy of books that's just like non ah it's uh it's so good um and then you went back to the beginning and you read them in order well i did my best uh, i did yeah. what i could find at like the bookstore or the library i missed a bunch but um yeah um, you do your best <laughs> i'm with you um i started uh probably it was like probably like 1997 uh like almost like six months after the book started. So it was about six books in. And I was in a new class, made new friends. And my best friend, um, he had the books. And I, growing up, I didn't have enough money to like buy a book every month, like especially that. And so like uh, he would buy it and he would buy it every month and then he would read it and then pass it to me. And then I would read it in class, during class, and then finish it, hopefully that day. If not, I take it home, I read it at home, and I give it back to him. And for a good amount of time, there's a couple of us in class that would pass around the books. But basically, I would take it right after him, and I would read it. I started off with book two, so I wasn't crazy off. I started off with book two, and then I think I did one, and then three... And then four was Cassie, the messenger. That one, this one girl in class had my friend's book and like 
she just took a long time to read it. And I'm like, give me book four. What are you doing? <laughs> give me book four. Like, stop taking so long to read this. So I had to read five, then come back to four. And then go on, right? So like, imagine four is when we meet Axe. Five, yes. suddenly Axe is there. I'm like, I don't know what's, okay. That must happen in four. <laughs> Great, you know? Uh, but like, I was pretty much on top of it the whole way through and it was an obsession and i was very much into it the the stories that i would write as a kid were very indicative of turning into animals teens with angst and like like <laughs> that sort of thing i i wrote like a i wrote a, a a story a book when i was in elementary school called the animal world and it was essentially just animorphs meets power rangers maybe I'm not quite sure um, but it was pretty much that. And so, uh, Animorphs was like, yeah, a huge part of me. And then the, the, the Nickelodeon show came out and luckily I got cable right when it came out. So I didn't have to, like, I missed a couple episodes and then I had to like catch up. But for the most part, it was a a Animorphs all day, every day until it ended. And I was in a, like a depression in middle school where I was just like, this is over. This is it. It was it it hurt so much. But that's I definitely felt that way when I when I finished the series as well. That, last summer. <laughs> yeah. Um and like yeah, I don't know. Um who let's talk about the characters. Um when it comes to Animorphs, you started off with the basic five and then they find Axe later. So uh, Jake is the leader. Cassie is the, uh, they would just sum her up as pacifist, but like, there's more to her than that. Um, she's the nice animal girl. Uh, Rachel's the ferocious one. Marco is the jokester one. And Tobias gets stuck as a hawk because you can only morph for two hours at a time. And if you don't morph back to a human, you get stuck in, and in the animal morph, um, forever which was wild because that happens at the end of book one yes <laughs> yeah that was a very very, uh, oh, very good thesis statement for the tone of the rest of the series <laughs> <laughs> definitely yeah, it takes the worst possible scenario and it makes it happen at the end of book one yeah yeah <laughs> they don't you guys fall like... <laughs> do you guys fall on the side of he did it on purpose or not because i know they kind of go back and forth throughout the books as to whether or not he got stuck on purpose uh yeah i mean tobias had a tough life right like he was passed around to to uncle and aunt who didn't really care about him didn't know he existed nobody reported him gone he's from a different universe but we don't have to talk about that that's fine (laughs) different universe you mean you mean like because like his dad's not from that timeline so (laughs) no i don't buy okay no 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 now okay no it's fine whatever i don't we're gonna move on I, I get what you're saying in Andalite Chronicles, like, no, that's a whole different thing. No, uh, mm, okay, never. Uh, <laughs> hmm. For me, at I least, don't... I think... <laughs> Sorry, go. I... No worries. I think that, I don't think it was, like, a conscious decision. Like, I don't think he was, like, I am going to turn into a hawk forever. I think he had was so detached from his life that he just didn't wasn't paying attention 
like he was very like resigned it's like kind of like oh whatever happens happens because later on like in later books he realizes the ramifications of this decision and i think it drives him back. i think he like explicitly tries to kill himself in the second book after he book, realizes yes. that he's stuck like that for forever um yeah so i don't think it was like a choice he was like i'm just gonna be into a hawk and all my turn into a hawk and all my problems will be resolved i think it's just like i don't care about my life and oh shit i got trapped as a hawk <laughs> yeah or or maybe his escape into being a hawk makes him lose track of it right like the hawk is so much better than his real life he's just like okay la di da di da oh uh oh <laughs> you know i don't know pat yeah, there was something um, that was very clear to me uh, reading, um, re-read, like reading it as an adult, where it's like, oh, Tobias is the only character whose life is in danger at literally, like literally all the time. He's never, he can never really be off. Like, you know, he doesn't, like, he doesn't have a home. He's always just like fight for territory or fight, you know, make sure he has enough food to survive, make sure some owl's not going to like, you know, dank him in the middle of the night. Um and so, like, you know, just from that perspective, it's like, oh, you know, Tobias has it really bad. Um, and I, I never considered the idea that he might have done it. On, like, I, I, I do, I couldn't subscribe to the idea that um, he wasn't, he wasn't paying attention. And, like, you know, it's kind of, he was, like, you know, resi- I can, resignation makes a lot of sense to me, I think. Um, but, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think, I don't think he, like, explicitly did it on purpose, per se. Kirby, what do you think? No, I don't think he did it explicitly on purpose. I agree. I think it was more of just like a subconscious, I don't care about my life, so I'm not as desperate to get back to my human body as everybody else. It's like he has nothing to look forward to there. I think, I, and I could be recalling this incorrectly because it has been a while, but I think there is one book where Rachel like straight up accuses him of doing it on purpose and he like gets really upset. But I don't, I don't know. But no, I think that it's, it's something that even he himself probably is like, I don't think I did it on purpose, but I'm not going to think about it too hard. <laughs> so. What? Ah, the heartbreak in this book. Every which way, heartbreak. All the time. Uh, Rachel, the ferocious one, uh, and Tobias, the outcast, uh, essentially fall in love while Tobias is a hawk. Not before. Not in book one. But, like, (laughs) afterwards? That hurts. there's something about like the way the animals communicate with each other the fact that they can hear each other's voices like in their heads like feels like very like like a very intimate setting to me like it feels like almost like even though they can't read each other's thoughts it feels as almost though they can to a certain degree because they can communicate with each other in a way that no one else can yeah uh i like the way they write it in the book with these brackets because yes, I yes. had never seen that before, and I have still never seen that uh, given as instead of quotes, they have like open bracket, close bracket, like the V bracket ones. Yeah. Um, but like they do explain thought speak as like you get to choose to openly broadcast it or you can individually send it. What I, I don't remember, though, and I've always wondered this, can you send it to... Well, maybe, maybe maybe you can. You could send it to. Can you select? Like, it's not just one or everybody, but can you select who you're broadcasting it to? You have I'm, to, right? I'm not sure that they ever clarify that. Actually, I don't know. I don't Imagine know. being the only person left out of the thoughts. <laughs> Magical group chat. Yeah. 
you know what? Actually, I think um, during the David trilogy, after David maybe kind of, you know, when they weren't sure whether or not David betrayed them or not, and Rachel was about to openly accuse him, and Jake basically told everyone else to shut the hell up. Um, but, like, David was there, but uh, Jake spoke to everyone else nearby. So I think that would have been selective. Right. I, I think that's probably like the one example I can I can that comes to mind. I would hope that you can kind of like pick and choose. Uh, yeah, who to add to the group chat, you know. <laughs> um, but there, there, there are like, there's so much lore to this 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 book series that, like, again, casual fans or people who just seen the covers don't really know, right? Um, but, uh, who, who was your guys' favorite character? Do you guys have a favorite character? Oh, man. Ooh, that, that's shifted around a lot. That's jumped around a lot for me. Um, as a kid, it was Jake because, largely because Jake had all the cool morphs, uh, and I was, like, eight. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, he has a tiger and a peregrine falcon? Are you kidding me? Best character. This is all it yeah. takes. Uh, rereading it uh, towards the beginning, I actually like, especially early series. Jake is actually one of the less interesting characters. Um, mm. But Cassie, Cassie, I, I am a Cassie. I will die defending Cassie to this day. Um, <laughs> she's, um, you know, she's really, you know, she ha she brings a different perspective. I think to the series that none of the other characters have, where they're looking at it from a default of okay, alien invasion, we got to stop it. Um, there are, we're not going to examine any moral principles behind it or not. And Cassie's like, hey, wait, are we doing things the best way? You know, can we consider other options? Um, are we by default in the superior moral position? And um, I think, you know, I, I think that's why, you know, Cassie gets the most flack because like she kind of challenges the, the alien invasion premise of the series in a way that the other characters don't. But I think it's like, one of those instances where her being the most interesting to me is what makes her annoying. The fact that she has like a different opinion from the other characters kind of sets her apart in that regard. And also just for the fact that like Cassie was like soft black girl representation in the nineties where like that didn't exist. Like every like black female character was like, you know, sassy or like really, um, you know, sassy, rude, yada, yada, all these other stereotypes. And, and Cassie could be, the soft character or and also the love interest was really progressive for its time. Oh, for sure. Um, there's a lot of rules that the animals create for themselves that kind of put them at a, at a, at a disadvantage, but it's because they're trying to be better. Um, such as the rule that you don't, you don't um, absorb the, the morphs of like sentient species uh, without their consent. Yes. I mean, that has to be a, have been a Cassie thing. I can't remember specifically. Uh, I remember Cassie bringing it up specifically uh, the first time it turned into dolphins because it was like, hey, these things are like very intelligent. It's a little weird. We're essentially creating a dolphin and then controlling it. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I do believe Cassie is the first one to bring it up. Um, they do break that rule a lot throughout the series uh, later on, especially. Um, but I do believe like Cassie was the first one to bring that up. Um I'm trying to think. Marco, Marco, when he was following his mom, uh, when he when he saw his mom, um, Visor One, in an office, he tried to follow her, and he he acquired like some random business guy, and you know, sh and morphed into him in order to you know 
main in order to continue following her. They definitely morphed. Um, okay, now I think the Hork Badger they morphed into were consenting. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to. I, oh, like, by the, the way, you say Hork Badger, Badger, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, it's funny because this 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 book series has so many alien words that like everybody like mispronounces or whatever because like that's what you do when you read it, right? I do think it's Hork Bajir. Is it really? I used to call them the Hork Bajir too. That's yeah, what I've always heard, I, yeah. I used to call them Hork Badgers. I, I did, I did. But, and then I found out it's later Hork Bajir. Bajir rolled Badger. off the tongue a little better. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um. But sorry, Uh. Uh. uh continue. What were you saying, Pat? Oh yeah, no, just that like, yeah, Um. I, I was trying to think of instances where they did morph into people without their consent. And like the one example that stands out that I can guarantee you is Marco transforming into random office guy number three while following his mom. Yeah. I know there's the the Mosquito Z-Space uh, book where they try to take the blood to morph the guy. Right? Yes. yes. They turn into mosquitoes to take the blood to then absorb the blood later to morph into the guy because of some something. I don't know how it gets resolved, but basically they then get like shunted into Z-Space because the mosquito doesn't have much mass and then they get picked up in Z space by an Andalite ship and they go to the planet Lyra and that is a wild book I loved it that was was a good one I love the fact like uh, uh, when they show that the Andalites aren't the good guys yes (laughs) oh god they are aggressively Oh, uh, yeah. Um, for me, I think the character that I was always it changes it changed a lot as I read the series. Initially, the character that I was most drawn to was Tobias, just due to the sheer tragedy of his existence. But later on, I found Rachel a really, really fascinating character because I think. Just the fact that she essentially grows up, she comes of age in this war. I think the Animorphs are maybe, um, I believe they're 12 or 13 in the first book. They're 13 13 in the first book. So she spends her entire adolescence fighting for her life and the lives of humanity. And I think it's really interesting when in the later book, she comes to this realization that she cannot function outside of war. And it's a really heartbreaking part of her character arc. But I remember just finding the way they approach that very interesting because it would have been very easy to paint her simply like, and I feel she tends to get reduced to just like a bloodthirsty person that enjoys violence. But I think she's portrayed with like a lot of nuance. And I think it's a really interesting approach to that kind of character, like that kind of archetype. I mean, they bring it up in the book. They compare it to Xena warrior princess. I believe they, they, they bring up Buffy. Like, I feel like a, writer that didn't want to think too much into Rachel would have just made her Buffy. Definitely. <laughs> but she's a lot different, a lot more than that. Yes. Like I think um I think the bear is a very like fitting morph because uh, we tend to associate bears with like super aggressive like instigative animals, but a bear mostly just chills actually. Bears are typically only attack if you're within their territory or you're threatening a cub. They don't go out of their way to attack people like a lot of the other predatory species the Animorphs turn into. Like yeah. One of the other things that I think is really interesting is that Jake is a tiger, which are infamously the most vengeful animals on the planet. 
but Jake himself is not a vengeful person. Yeah. Um, what was Rachel's morph before she got the bear? Was it an elephant? Oh gosh, I think she had both. Yeah, it was she an elephant for a while. She got the bear. She yeah. got the bear in the uh, the book, The Stranger, which was book seven. Uh, yeah, book seven. Uh, that was the first book, uh, Animorphs book I owned. Um, and oh, I have yes. since, oh, I have all the books now. Mm-hmm. My my ex, when my ex and I were together for our first Christmas, she got me all the books. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's crazy. So I do have it now to preserve. But um, yeah, The Stranger was the first time I think she gets the bear morph because she goes to the circus. Um, but I think before that, it might have just been an elephant. It was definitely an elephant before that. I think yeah. they all went to like the zoo and all got big ones at the same time, right? Yeah. Or close to yeah. all of them. Yeah. T- t- uh, before they storm the pool in the first book. Yeah. Yes, um, yes. A lot happens in the first book. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> a lot. By the way, I don't know if you guys if you guys have read them, but the the graphic novels are like they're hard. I got the hardcover. There's paperback versions. But they release one a year. Um, and the art's really good. This is just... This yeah, is I've just definitely been meaning to get around to getting one. I, I bought them. I haven't read the second and third, mostly because now I'm just kind of like getting them to get them. But I think it's amazing. Like, I don't know. Oh, that's gorgeous. That is really, de- that is really good. The Death of Elfangor. Like, and he's crying? Oh. Okay, anyway. <laughs> It's it's yeah, uh, it's definitely worth it. There's also audiobooks online um, of the whole series. A lot of people have gotten back into it through that. Um, sorry, Kirby, were you saying who your favorite character was? Um, I think I agree with Lefty. It was Rachel for a very long time. I think she's really interesting. I remember there was um, some plot line where Jake was going to have to like do. I think they were going to have to kill some guy, like not a controller, just some person. And his first instinct was to ask for Rachel, and that really messes her up for a while. I remember that being interesting, of her being like, "Why would you automatically call me to be the one to do the horrible, terrible thing that we all agreed we weren't going to do? Why was I like your first choice?" But like, it makes sense that it's her, and she like struggles with that. And I thought that was really, really interesting to kind of have this character who is kind of you know bloodthirsty and kind of like very, very um into the violent aspect of the war but have her not be comfortable with that was interesting um i also really like cassie kind of like you were saying pat i think that there is an element of cassie that is a hypocrite but like you need that in the group you need someone who's like yeah we've done worse things but we still have to consider whether or not we have to do this bad thing you know like you can't just say well we've already killed a bunch of people so let's just do what we want and i think cassie being there did that but i don't know they both get really messed up by the end of things so you know but I, I like yeah. them all. I like them all. I think um, Marco was one that I didn't really care for when I was a kid because I didn't really get it. But I think I do now. So I uh, yeah, I I tweeted at K.A. Applegate a couple years back uh, and I said that growing up, I thought I was Tobias because I just really wanted to be this little angsty kind of kid. I wasn't <laughs> angsty per se, but like I wanted to be like, oh. I'm going to look at the stars and wonder what's out there and, you know, whatever, be really introspective. Um, So I I wrote when I was younger, I thought it was Tobias, but nowadays I realize I'm a Marco with a dash of ax and, and KA uh, uh, replied 
And she said, she said, everybody has a little dash of axe. Uh, and like, I thought that was super cool. Um, but growing up, I, I liked Marco's jokes. Like that was funny to me as a kid. Um, but I think I, I, yeah, I, I didn't mesh. I didn't connect with Cassie as much. I liked her. I liked all of them, but I didn't connect with her as much, but I think Tobias was like my favorite character, but I've changed my mind since then. Actually, um, I really like Marco. Um, I, I do really like Marco. He does start off as like a really just like the jokey character, but um, I think he he foils with Rachel really well in terms of their dynamic. I really like any scene where like not like not like when he's like you know being like aggressively flirty, but where that like usually at the end of a book like that was like heavy with those two, and they kind of have a conversation and. They they really they really work because like Marco is like usually the guy who thinks of the plans and tends to go in very gung ho about like oh um the, I'm the ruthless one I can point A to point B that's my that's where, that's how my brain is um but then like when it comes to actually following through on these you know ruthless ruthless you know plans he often can't bring himself to do it whereas like you have Rachel who might not be as quick to come up with the plans but like she kind of she is the one who will do it and um seeing those two sort of uh. They, they they have a very good dynamic in that sense. Yeah. And Animorphs throughout the series is all about like these kids and then the war heroes that they want to be versus the kids that they are. And it's this like thing of like, they know they want to be superheroes. They want to be like El Fangor. They want to be like the perfect Andalites, especially the beginning when they think they're perfect. They want to be this thing in this war. And then they realize that everything is nuanced. They are also just kids that can't trust their parents anymore, that lie to their parents. Marco can't tell his dad that his mom is still alive. Like Jake has to deal with Tom. It sucks. It sucks. Speaking of... um. Marco and Rachel's like like character contrast. One of the things that I find really interesting, Marco often abstains from violence out of love, whereas Rachel leans into it out of love. Because in the later books, Rachel, a part of the way she's able to sort of quote unquote like justify or live with the violent things she does is because she says they are essential. They would have had to have been done anyway, and it would have been one of the other four that likely couldn't have handled it in the way that I can. Whereas Marco, one of the scenes that always comes to mind, there's a book where the entire plot is him plotting to murk his mother. He yes. orchestrates an entire plan to murder his mother. And when push comes to shove, he ultimately can't bring himself to do it. And I think that's just like a very interesting divide they establish between those two. Which book was that? Was that the one that happens right at the at Visser? Like Visser comes out, but then there's one book that kind of works in tangent with Visser. No, that was the um, that was the one um, where the one that works in tangent with Visser was the one that introduces Marco's new stepmom. This is earlier than that. Um, this is like this is like probably Marco's like like book that he had right before that. Um, I forget what it's called. I, I'm always really bad at remembering the individual, the individual names of each of these 54 books. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. What was the cover? I, exactly... I think that's the way we keep up with. What was the cover? Oh, God. Like... I, think he was turning into a, I think he was turning to a roach on the cover. 
Oh God! I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm reasonably okay. sure he was turning into a roach on the cover of that one. Um, but to bring up what um what Lefty was saying earlier, actually, early earlier in that book, um, before Marco comes to you know, kind of falters to kill his mom, there's a mo- there's a moment where they all think Jake and Cassie have been killed in an explosion, and you know so they're still trying to go through this you know plan to kill Marco's mom, but like you know they're down two people, and Rachel's kind of like, hey dude, like. Marco, get out of here. I'm just going to do it right now. Screw the plan. Look the other way. I got it. Like, you know, we're going to do this. And it, it, re- it, it was it was a really clear moment of their contrast for me. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, no, this takes it takes me back. Um, Marco talking about him being ruthless and seeing point A to point B um, was the first time I like as a kid, I understood that concept of like going from A to B. That's what Ruthless is. Uh, A lot of these topics were new to me as a kid. No other books were going over some of these topics, right? Uh, Especially not the ones assigned to me in class that were considered real real books, right? They do that, like, I, I still hold animosity towards the teachers that told me the books that I was reading were not real books and the books they were assigning were real books. Um, to this day, I feel I was let down by that system. Um, but, uh, I forget where I was going with this. This whole episode is just cathartic to me. I'm just going to treat it like this. <laughs> um, uh, how'd you guys feel, uh, about Axe? Because Axe is Elfangor's brother. Elfangor dies. Uh, Axe is introduced in book four, the messenger. No, the me- uh, not the messenger. Did I say the messenger earlier? The message. Um, and then he finally gets his own book in six, seven, eight. Book eight, the alien, uh, where you see him on the cover. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know when Andalite Chronicles comes out, but it has to be slightly after that. I think it was the first Chronicles book, so probably after the first like year or so. What but it was bef- it was before Tobias comes back again and gets his. Okay. Or was it? it was it, it before, be before Tobias? It had to be before Tobias got his morphing ability back, which means it had to be before. That's thirteen. Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, around. Okay. So Analyte Chronicles would have been before that. Uh. Yeah. Anyway. Uh. Did you guys? How did you guys like Axe? And I was I was very like mystified by him in the beginning. Like I'm sure all of us are with the Andalites. But one of the things that I like best about his character is the relationship that he has with Tobias. I think there's something like very sweet about like an alien identifying so strongly with a boy that feels alien in every way and technically is at this point because he's no longer human. Uh, I think there there was something very cathartic about Tobias having a friend like that for me. Uh, they are called shorms, right? Yes. Uh, yes. That is the Andalite word for the flat end of their blade, I believe. Um, and so shorm is your best friend soulmate. Is that essentially yeah. what it is? Yeah, the person that essentially always has your back. The person that you can trust like a part of your body. Yeah. Uh, Axe and Tobias are shorms, right? They they do state that. Yes. Yeah, that's sweet. Um, when does when does the the do, when do you feel like the series picks up? 
is it at the introduction of Axe or which is book four? Is it at book five where you realize that Marco's mom is Visser One? Is it Megamorphs where suddenly you get this like huge adventure? Is it Axe's first book? Or before that, book um number six, the capture where where the Yurk takes over Jake's uh Jake gets taken over by Yurk in book six. Book yep. seven is the stranger with the Elemist. They're all really like those are actually all like the first like 20 books are are like no filler. I, I don't I'm trying to think. The, the I think they, well, they started weird. kicking it with go ahead. Sorry. No, sorry. I was just gonna say it's weird because this is a series where most of the filler comes in near the end. Like you get most of the filler books right before the ending, which is unusual, but I think it's because it's mostly ghostwriters. Yeah. So the beginning is very fast paced. Um, yeah, the beginning yeah. is definitely firing on all cylinders. Um, I think like we for, like the first time we get real filler was on like Jake's third book. Uh, it's one with the jaguar on the cover where they where they where they do the Sario rip the time travel thing the first time. I love that was my one. favorite <laughs> book until like later, but like oh, and and then we get Rachel, and then right after that we get Rachel getting sick and like. Uh, morphing at random times. Oh, the crocodile one. Yeah, the, the crocodile one. Yeah, um, that's great. <laughs> uh, they did that in the in the TV show, and we'll, we'll talk about the TV show in, in just a in just a sec. Um, I, I actually think the first filler is, and I this is all from memory, but I'm going back to book fourteen, the unknown, where Cassie is morphing a horse on the cover. Yes, that, yes, yes. That might be the first one because it's they're like, oh, they have an alien device at Zone ninety one or whatever they call it. Like <laughs> it's Area fifty one, but it's like Zone something. And then they realize that it's an Andalite toilet. Yep. And they're it, the whole book was just oh, okay. <laughs> was, oh, the whole book was a setup to a punchline. It was really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was definitely um, definitely one of the. The clear, the most obvious filler book for sure. Uh, starting out, yeah. I'm trying to remember the other ones, but um, but right, the filler ones are are really sparse. And even though we get introduced to new plot lines like the Elemists, then we get the Kraik and the Howlers and that stuff. Um, we get the Pemelites, or uh, and the Chi, right? Even then, they still factor in at the end. So I don't find like them all to be filler. They're just like other side plots. But I don't think we've answered the question. The, the uh, yeah, when, when did it, when when was it fi- like when did it finally like hit its stride? I think. It's a difficult question to ask because each book is so fast paced and it is like back to back new developments. Um, for me, like, honestly, the moment where everything got real was like that moment in the first book when the worst case scenario was realized one of them gets stuck. But if not that, I'd say that the thing that really kept going, even though this comes slightly later, is the David trilogy, because it also answers another one of like those big what if questions. What if somebody that wasn't those five had those powers? How would the average person handle it? And I think that's a that was a very, very compelling plot line. Yeah, uh, we uh, 
let let's talk about the David trilogy. That was like book night. Was it 19, 20, 21? Um, there, I think so. Might have been 23 because I think uh, nineteen was um the departure with uh Cassie and the butterfly, which is my favorite book. Oh yeah. Oh, that one's a crazy one. Um, that one keep talking. One. I, I I'll be right back. For sure, for sure. Thank God. Are, are we popping off about the departure? Okay. We are popping. We are popping <laughs> off about the departure. There's a bunch of pop off about. Yeah, it, it's like so. I, it's not the first time they brought up the idea that like, hey, you know, potentially not all Yurks are evil. Um, but it's it's like the first time they really got into exploring it. And I remember something like really stood out to me was like, um, I always forget the um, the Yurk she was talking to the Yurk's name, um, but she's like, hey, you know we are naturally parasitic species. You are naturally predatory species. One of these things is not inherently more moral than the other. You, you subjugate and kill other beings on your that you perceive as lesser to survive all the time. We are just doing what we need to do biologically. We're, you know, we're not, we're, you know, we're not all, we're all not necessarily evil. Also, Hey, the only people with any real agency in the York empire are the leaders. The rest of us don't really get a say in this. You know, um, it, was, it was just a really good, like, it was a really good, like I said, Cassie as a character very much challenges the perceived premise of the series of, hey, you know, we got to fight off this alien invasion. And this was the book that I think went hardest on that. Oh, definitely. I think um, one of the other things I really enjoyed about the departures, I feel like the other books didn't really touch on, like, how, like, how, sad the yurk's existence really is it's a yes. it's utterly helpless species that cannot experience like any sensory like pleasure without parasite like without taking over a host they can't do a single thing for themselves and yet they are sentient they have all the luxuries of sentience but can't do anything with it uh the yurks <laughs> Their existence is like a like it's like a it's sensory deprivation hell, pretty much their entire <laughs> existence, and they just get to be sentient for it. They just <laughs> they can they communicate with each other, right? They can communicate with each other yes, yes. in in their own pools. Yes, which I would assume are they can't. I don't know. Can they climb out of a pool on land into another pool? They can, but they they're not very fast. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I was and to... then there's yeah, predators yeah. probably, like leech, like you know, like how kind of, a leech kind of like slithers. I always kind of like pictured them moving like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the again, the lore is really cool because like, um, at the same time, I was reading Star Wars books. Um, um, this was before the prequels came out, and like, that was fun. But then when they're expanding, like, the alien lore in Animorphs, it was super interesting to me. Going over the Yurks, going over how they reproduce, going over, like... And they would hint at certain things, and then, like, they would expand on it in, like, the Chronicles. And I'd be like, oh. uh, It was... I, I feel like maybe my age, because I was so young at the time, uh, I didn't fully appreciate the franchise as a whole and like the the world building i i loved it but i didn't really like i don't know if i was a couple years older maybe it would have been different definitely 
Okay. You guys feel sorry up. for the Yerks? Is that what left you in this dogma? We were talking about the departure and how the departure is like the first book to draw attention to like, wow, what a tragic existence this alien species actually lives. Because before then, they've kind of been like sort of like one dimensional, like evil invaders that are, you know, Paris and like cannibalizing Earth for themselves. And the departure sort of shows like kind of what the world looks like from their perspective. It doesn't make what they do right, but it makes it a bit more understandable. They're very much prisoners of their own biology, um, essentially. It was a beautiful cover. I, I'm looking at it, it right now. Mm-hmm. And, and it also, it also just, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, it also, you know, showed how much Cassie was willing to, um, what she was willing to do to commit to our ideals, to commit to the idea that there are peaceable solutions to this, where it's like, this of the year, because like, hey, I live in existence as a blind, deaf, helpless worm, and you're, ask, you're asking me to go back to that, but like, would you do the same thing um, rather than, uh, you know, uh, take up residence in someone else's brain and Cassie's like, sure. And, and then you're like, okay, do it. And Cassie did it. She turned into a caterpillar and trapped herself that way. And it's just like, Cassie was willing to basically in a way, doom herself like even worse than Tobias um, in order to prove this point that, you know, in order to, in order to prove her point in order to like, you know, convince this year. And I, I, I really showed a good, like really good commitment to our ideals that I really love from Cassie. Yeah, she put her money where her mouth is, right? Like, yeah. she wasn't just all talk. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, She's willing to lay it down. Aftrin. Aftrin was the yeah, was the yerk. I, I didn't remember her name um, until I, I looked it up. And it's funny because, like, this one specific book plants the seed for the yerk resistance. Yes. Yeah. Which come back comes back later in later books. All these again, you would think this is just a filler book, but it's not. Like it builds up towards more things. Um, were there like what were the other mind blowing, formative books in this oh, series? Oh, that's a good like question. that really hit. You know, hit like. Just that right stuff for you guys. Um, I can't remember the book exactly. So this is more like a revelation than a specific book. But I remember earlier in the series, I believe the Animorphs were under the impression like the Hork-Bajir were like an extremely like violent, like danger, inherently dangerous species before discovering that they were actually like herbivores. <laughs> like very like peaceful like simple-minded animals that didn't have any sort of like violent predisposition but were used as weapons of wars i remember that being a very impactful moment for me as a child when i read that yeah that's uh that's the book where he gets again essentially the reward of absorbing his own dna to turn to human for two hours at a time like that's the reward right because the elemist is playing five-dimensional chess and part of it with the Elemis plan is that the Hork-Bajirs get a free colony that there's a Hork-Bajir resistance that there's hope there because these little things all the little things that happen in this series add up to the Yurks defeat even the auxiliary Animorphs which we can get to later 
if, oh, if unless you guys want to get to it now. Oh, there's so much to say about the auxiliary. <laughs> so much to say about the auxiliary animorphs. Oh my god. Uh, the auxiliary animorphs um, were. So uh, you're just gonna have to say it. I don't know how. <laughs> they, were they specifically in a hospital? They, they were. were they, they, they were in. They were in a children's children. hospital. Yes, yeah. I believe they were terminally ill. Like every single one of I don't, them. I don't think they were all terminally ill. I think they were all disabled. They all had a different disability. Okay. Yes. Yeah. They were all. Some disabled. of them got better when they morphed, and some didn't. I remember yes. that. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um. But the ones who got better still had to be in the hospital. Yeah. They yeah. Like, they still have to. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember what book that was, but um, it was towards the end. Towards the end. Towards the end. And. But because the basic premise of the book is that the Animorphs want, they, they finally have um, an Escalift device, and uh, which is the cube. <laughs> right there. Uh, and uh, they finally have that, and they're like, okay, we can grant other kids the power to morph. Um, we don't want to do it like David, because David had already happened, and, and it turned out badly. But we need people that we know that the Yurks would not want. And essentially, the Yurks would not want anyone with disabilities. Basically, yeah. So um, getting, you know, recruiting disabled child soldiers to their cause was the (laughs) optimal choice. (laughs) I forget how they did it, but... They basically went up and asked them. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think they just told them, like, hey, by the way... They, they the said, we can't guarantee that this will cure you but it might so if you want take a shot but you have to fight for us in exchange um and i think the really like tragic thing about this i don't remember the exact number of auxiliary of auxiliary animals i'm just gonna say 15 for the sake of it that feels right there were over yeah. a dozen but i think of those that you know took the deal only three were actually like actually got what was promised to them that only three were actually able to heal from whatever it is they were struggling with. Yeah. Well, and then I think didn't did all of them die or did most of them die? I, they all died. I was okay. Die. They all died. I thought oh, so. Yeah. I think. Oh yeah. I, I'm reading up on it because uh, this is after. So like things real like Animorphs spins their wheels for a little bit with filler episodes or filler books. Up until their identities are exposed, yes, and that's that's when I'm like, as a kid, I'm like, that's when it goes off. Yeah, I was like, there's no going back. What is this gearing up toward? I was I was floored, but then it's because they're all living in the colony, and uh, that they decide, let's ramp this up. Let's get these animorphs. Uh, but yes. In the final battle, uh, they assist Sam Doubleday. I don't remember Sam Doubleday. He was a, he was a general that Jake had like convinced to. Uh, it was a U.S. military general that Jake had convinced to uh, help uh, battle the York invasion, and he basically used the U.S. military and um, and also the auxiliary animorphs as a diversion uh, yes. to get inside of the ship. Oops. <laughs> my lighting. Um, and that was the. That was in uh, the ultimate, the book, the ultimate. But basically, uh, yeah, Axe was against it just by the sake of saying that they're disabled. They shouldn't be a part of this anyway. Um, yeah, Axe, Axe looks super fucking ableist. 
Uh, yeah. yeah, he's kind of the worst in a lot of ways, actually. Oh, man. I, I he, think he gets um, better, right? He progresses. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Not really. <laughs> not really. No, he does not. It's it's kind of, it's kind of, of, where, like, they let, they were like, they let all the Yerks starve in the heads of everyone in town, and all the kids were like, oh, great, a victory. People are going to know about the Yerks. And then Axe is like, actually, they're all going to die. I just didn't tell you that. Yes. Uh, because I didn't think that you would do it if you knew that all these innocent people were going to die. So, psych. Like, that was a big plot line for a while. Do you not remember that? Wait, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. That was very when early. Was yeah. after, after, the, after they destroyed the power with the Condrona, with the Condrona dra- rays that were feeding the Yerks, um, a lot of Yerks started starving. And the kids were like, yay, you know, people are going to start. And they, they never considered, well, Axe considered it, but they, they never considered that the, that the surviving Yerks were just like, take out whoever got free they would just you know silence them yeah, why um, wouldn't they why wouldn't they re-infect them reinfest them they didn't have the kendrona so they couldn't feed the yurks if they put them in people's heads there so i'm assuming they just cleaned up when was this i don't know how people didn't you'd think people would this notice is, this is pretty early people just dropped is... dead all at once but we're not going to think about that <laughs> uh this was right after this is right after the the this is the book after the elements was introduced i am I think the thing that's like most uncomfortable about the auxiliary animorphs is that it attempts to deliver an anti-ableist message, but it does it, I think, in the most ableist manner possible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, like, the thing that comes to mind, so the way the animorphs perceive the auxiliary animorphs is in reality really no better than the way the Yerks perceive them. The Yerks perceive their bodies as having no value because they are disabled, but the animals, even though some of them don't explicitly acknowledge this, say that they're essentially just good for cannon fodder. And the thing, like, the thing that sh- sticks with me is that some of the auxiliary animals were scared. They wanted to come back and they're like, nope, front lines, front lines, front lines. Uh, there's a really good moment where, um, you know, Marco calls out Axe on his, like, ableism. And he's like, yeah, we don't do, their- we don't do that here on Earth. And Axe is kind of like, don't you? <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> X has a history textbook in his head. Like, <laughs> it kind of seems like I read an almanac. <laughs> also, the fact that this is in the nineties, you know, like, uh, by the way, if they ever do an adaptation that can't, like, I, I, every so often, I'll think to myself about surveillance technology in the world, and I'll be like. You can't morph here, like. Yeah, no. I, I think a lot of animorphs that like um, what's it called? Like aesthetically, even though it's a book series, but like aesthetically, I think it's very much. It's very '90s, and if they were ever doing an adaptation, I think it would need to remain in the '90s. I'm very much for not updating animorphs if they ever do an adaptation. It's pre. Well, it's it's pre nine eleven. Very specifically, like. Yeah, it's one of those plots for like the 80s, 90s plots where if everyone had a cell phone, the whole thing breaks down. You know, like you can't set it in a modern time and have it make sense. Right. But same thing with security cameras. Like, yeah, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't pan out. Yeah. I mean, like the only way it could work is like, they just always have a technology on them that just like destroys, like just like destroys security cameras around them. They all have have mini EMPs or something. All the time. (laughs) All the time. All the time. Yeah. You know, uh, there's a there's a moment in uh, towards the late series where they're trying to figure out how to like rally, like, you know, whether or not they should publicize um, the Yerks. And um, Tobias is like, I don't know how we're going to do that. You know, Tobias is like, it's the late 90s. Uh, America hasn't really had an enemy in like however long. And I'm like, buddy, wait two years. Um, <laughs> Oof. Yeah. 
like so I, I feel like that like in, in like in certain instances like that i'm just like okay this is very much this has to stay in the 90s yeah um yeah i'm i'm, I'm... wasn't there one where they like snuck on an airplane like that would not yeah, work. There, there is there is oh, one where they where... <laughs> uh, as flies, as flies, though, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But they still have to like change in and out in the bathrooms and stuff, and like that's yeah. I don't know. I feel like somebody would notice. Oh, <laughs> uh, Cassie what? ends yeah. up being accidentally transported like to Australia on an airplane at one point. <laughs> Rachel steals a private jet and crashes it into a building, and it's just like, oh. When was that? that? When was that that Rachel? That was that was that was the one that was the that was the one where Rachel was in charge and she was trying to rescue Cassie because Cassie was about to be stuck as a polar bear. Um, oh Rachel yeah, up. yeah, and it was it's kind of funny. I did a book report on that book specifically um, as a child, and I didn't like I had to like in the book report. It's like oh, illustrate your favorite scene, and so child Patrick not having any real cultural context, <laughs> kind of like. Illustrated the scene where Rachel crashes a plane into a building. Um, and it's like, oh, dude, I'm like looking back and it's like, what did that teacher think of me? Animorphs <laughs> <laughs> um, got me into fan fiction, by the way. That's just, that's a side note. I just wanted to, I was writing my own Animorphs book. Like I was trying to write a Jake centric book where I, I in, in my imagination, he turns to a tiger on the cover. This is before the issue where he turns into a tiger on the cover. And, and I, uh, but I didn't get very far because the kids in my class were like, you're just copying the book. Like they didn't understand <laughs> fan fiction because it wasn't really a thing back then. They were just like, you're just copying this copyright laws. And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> I'm going to show up in your classroom. <laughs> get you. <laughs> and the principal it. shows up. He's like we need, we need yeah, to take him to the FBI. office. Scholastic is calling. Hey, Applegate herself is just like in the room. What are you doing? How you dare you? Ka Applegate gets so upset with me that she's like, "You can never read Animorphs again." Yeah. She, she, she just goes full Anne Rice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, so uh, sorry. What were we? What were we talking about? Oh, things that are specifically '90s, like. Like the fact that Animorphs takes place in the '90s, like it's pre 9/11, they're sneaking on planes. They go, oh, they go on the chat. They go on the the like AOL instant message. Yes, this, this, <laughs> and they this try to find AOL epi like episode book. Yes, <laughs> yeah, they try to find like, is there a human resistance? Do people know out there? But they're all just traps, right? Um, it was like it was like it was trapped, and then there were certain people who were legitimate, but they were getting like silenced real quickly because um, it was like a conspiracy like, thing, right? Yeah. So like, the, the, I remember there was like specifically one kid who was like, "Hey," who like found his way into a message where he's like, "Hey, I think my 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 parent might be a year," and like Cassie, like and there and and like I think Cassie went out to that kid specifically to try and like you know tell him to shut the hell up. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. Um, so it was it was like somewhere traps or somewhere because like there was being run by Visor 3's brother who twin brother was, twin brother yes who had been estranged from the Yurk Empire and was getting by without Kadrona rays by finding other controllers and um splitting their skulls open and eating the Yurks inside. I forgot that's how, how, how you find out it. that works. How do you figure out that that works? <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> 
intuitive at all. That's not something that just. <laughs> oh my god! Like half of talking about animorphs with other people that loved animorphs is you're just reminding each other of various horrific elements. Alone, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and then Ka- Ka- I think Cassie specifically wanted to take him out, and then Jake was like, "Actually, no, let him cook." Uh, and it- <laughs> let him keep doing it. Well, yeah, let, let him keep let him keep going. God, a win is a win. <laughs> a win is a win. <laughs> oh man, I feel like oh man, I'm reading I'm reading up on this the that book about like it's it's all the same one. It's the AOL thing. It's they get onto the plane with houseflies. They go to Joe Bob Fenister is his name. The second richest man in the country. Uh, And so the backstory on this character is that, like, it's Visser 3's twin brother that Visser 3, like, banishes, right? He exiles him to a lowly telephone operator uh, into the head of a, uh, like a, does it say lonely? Anyway, uh, a telephone operator and a lowly, sorry. And then he uses his Yurk technology to build up um like a corporate empire for the internet i guess and then he ends up being super rich oh my goodness yeah and then you know becomes a york serial killer basically yeah basically (laughs) i'm I'm still haunted by like the process of him figuring that out yeah yeah. (laughs) going to town one day and then he says what and why would it why would eating a yurk through someone else's body do anything? Like, why would that even? It doesn't matter. I guess because, like, <laughs> oh, they got the Cadrona rays inside them, so <laughs> I guess. But that seems a lot riskier and stupider than just going to the pool every three days with everybody else. But I, <laughs> I mean, they, they like private yurk pools are a concept though. Like Marco's mom had. Yeah, that's one. true. But like, high, like, that's like, high like, level. I get. Yeah, that is high level. That is true. That is very high level. Um. Like, remember the Council of Thirteen? Council yes. of Thirteen is the highest. Then it's the Vissers, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know whether we ever really get too much into depth about the Council of Thirteen. We don't really. I don't think so. It's mainly the Vissers. <laughs> and we only meet Visser 2, like, what, two times? Like, he doesn't come up a lot. He, he shows up, Visser 2 shows up once. Yeah. In the, in the book where Axe nearly nukes, uh, nukes their hometown. Um, is that the China? Is that the China book? Yeah, the one where they try to like uh, they they try to like launch a nuclear missile at China to like trigger a war between the United States and China in order to make Earth easier to invade or something. And Axe steals a a nuclear jet and is like, "Hey, uh, if you don't stop doing your plan, I will bomb this whole town." Uh, yeah, to oblivion. Who, who's the Visser in the Megamorphs uh, Time Matrix uh, book? The one where that they they the, hop they hop through time, right? That is the one I that is the one I did not read. Uh, oh, that yeah, has to do with a viscer. It's like viscer four or five or something. Um, and then in the end, they're hopping through time and they keep dying. Like they keep dying one by one. And in the end, they're like they don't want to kill the viscer, but they go back to like San Francisco hippie time, and. I think it's that. And then they stop the parents of the Visser's host from ever meeting. 
So oh, they no. they erase him from the timeline because he was never born. That doesn't make sense. Oh, <laughs> put this lug in someone else. Like, yeah, I was like, I was thinking about. Wait a minute. <laughs> I, I think it was. It'd be that the timeline. The timeline just doesn't happen the way, you know. It's okay. What are the what are the ethics of erasing an entire person from existence? Tobias <laughs> like kill Hitler at one point in these books. Yes, he does. Kill Hitler. I remember that. Okay. It was yeah. in Wait, that book. So who, they've done it before. <laughs> oh yeah. They, yeah. Uh, apparently, gets... apparently they, they they were in a timeline where Hitler was just like a truck driver in the German yeah, military. Yeah, and then he kills him like, anyway. Yeah, he kills him anyway. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> just in case. Just in case. <laughs> is this is this the book? Is the time travel book the same book that starts off with them being racist against Cassie? It starts off in an alternate timeline. Yes, yes. Where they're in like Poland or something, somewhere. And yes. Where? Wait, is that the is that the book where like it I starts remember it off? Starts out, it starts out that they like because I I read the first chapter and then I was like actually I want to read the next book because I'm really hooked on these. Um, and it's like I think they're in a world where like they slavery is like fine but like not it's not i don't think it's like race race based race based slavery they just have slaves and like um i think jake was like hey cassie's being too nice to her slave i'm gonna report her to whatever the hell and it starts uh, off like that without telling you what the out, hell is going on yeah, right yeah yeah <laughs> and then um, the elemist i think the elemist comes in and says hey this is not the right timeline you have to find the time matrix i think it's the time matrix book right yeah oh my yeah. did it didn't Jake have like neo Nazi tendencies in that book too? Like, like <laughs> some use that very. Sh- oh my gosh! In in the first in that first chapter of that yeah. alternate timeline, yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, that's the time. That's a little weird because that's like that's like the one that's the book where we find out that like I I think we find out at the very least that Rachel is Jewish, which like implies that Jake might also be. Well, they're cousins, yeah. so they should be yeah. Jewish. By all it way. depends. People have been talking about that for a while. It depends on who is related to who on like as cousins yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah the and, and whether they practice or whether they don't um mm-hmm. it just it just depends no jake is jewish rachel might not be okay got it got it got it yeah um yeah the uh question for you guys is marco half white i think that's implied early on i think because mm-hmm. i think i think marco's dad is white <laughs> Okay. See, I, I, I can't remember specifically what um, implied that, but I, I think it's implied early on. I also think it's implied. As a child, though, I just projected a very strong image of Marco being Hispanic onto Marco. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually not sure if he is. Uh, Marco, so Marco is half Hispanic. I know that for sure. But, or at least half Hispanic, if not full Hispanic. Um, I imagine Marco as the covers until the show came out and Boris Cabrera, the actor for Marco, is all jacked, and he looks kind of like, like he looks kind of like Alfonso Ribeiro from um, Carlton from Fresh Prince, because they're both like they're both jacked, like. And I'm like, oh, I never imagined Marco that way, but then lately, I think of Marco as Carlos Valdez from um, from the Flash show, uh, when he played Cisco Ramon. That's what I think of as marco now i can see that excellent choice you know um but yeah that, that was always a, a thing and uh for me it's like oh yeah marco and and 
everybody. Um, I forget where, where we're getting at. Uh, um, Megamorphs. Oh, yeah, the Megamorphs. So, like, Megamorphs were kind of like, I don't know, just... How would you guys describe Megamorphs? I would describe Megamorphs as, like, an extremely well-written, like, AU that was just published for the general public to read. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I know a lot of them were choose your own adventure, but they had such like they those were alternomorphs. Yeah. Oh, never mind. The, yeah, the alternomorphs were hilarious. The alternomorphs so were the choose your own adventure. Megamorphs were kind of like, oh, here's a TV movie of this series that doesn't really factor much into continuity, right? Yes. Oh yeah. god. They, they were felt just more so... like character studies. Like they would switch perspectives. Yeah. It felt more like it was about the characters. In the plot. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that's a great way to frame them. Character studies of each character, because in terms of plot, I don't think they had like any had much bearing on the franchise of a whole. It was just like different revelations. Like what uh, would they do in yeah. Y and Z? The first Megamorphs was Elfangor. No, it was called Elfangor's Gift or something, which yes. is just a basic name. It did not sum up what it was. But then after that, there was the dinosaur one. Yeah, <laughs> there was the time travel one where they're hopping around in time. There was back to before, which was that was an altered timeline, which was different. But that was wishing that they never got the gift to begin with. Actually, that might have been Elfangor's gift. No, oh. I think it was called Back to Before. It was called Back. It was called Back to Before. Okay. I'm trying to remember what the first one was called. The first one they were getting chased around by this like uh, the weird tornado dust monster. Yeah, the Valik. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, that was like, yeah, because it was a, it was a particle-based life form found on, like, Jupiter that the Visser got as a pet, and he trained him to be, to sniff out morphing as an energy. Yeah. So if they morphed, the Valik would come in and rip it up like a tornado. Yes. And I forget how they... Very good premise. How'd they, how'd they, I think they dropped a whale on him and they, into yeah, the ocean? They had, yeah, they were like, a, yeah. it was like a pool party. There was always some B-plot where like, oh, we're normal teenagers. And I think in this one, there was like a pool party. That was, <laughs> it yeah. was like, they It starts off it. that way. Yeah. That's why Every they first... book starts off like, we're just, we're just having a normal teenage day. Here's our weird little problem. And then it's like war crimes for 40 pages <laughs> and then back to a weird little problem. <laughs> it's just, you oh. don't have to have the B-plot in every book. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Well, I, yeah. Uh, the problem is tomorrow. The... What are we going to do? <laughs> what did you say? Sorry. No. What did you say? The problem is tomorrow. What are we going to do? Isn't there actually like a prom book? Maybe yeah, there prom... is. <laughs> there's, at least two, like, there's at least two books where they're out of dance. If I remember And the correctly. vice principal is a controller like the whole time and they don't really do anything about it. They just let him stay there. Chapman. Uh, yeah. What's funny about Chapman is the show does a thing they like and we'll talk we can talk about the show i don't know if, uh, how many how many episodes you guys have seen the show kind of like jumps a and b to get to c but they essentially go this this yerk itches his leg in the same way that chapman itches his leg thus chapman must be a yerk that's like the first episode he itches his his leg with his foot and they can only see his feet, and they're like, that like voice sounds familiar. And then like later on he itches his, his leg, and they're like, oh yeah, he's a yerk. I feel like that's a very like 
accurate 13 year old assumption to make but it's <laughs> really funny. what if the whole time he wasn't a yerk he was just oh i just itched my leg man. <laughs> it was all just a coincidence yeah i mean the whole series is about about paranoia oh yeah yeah paranoia sums it up really well it's uh like the whole series did you guys watch the watch the show the nickelodeon show i, I did watch the nickelodeon not the whole thing but i did watch quite a few episodes as a kid the show was very much before my time. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I, I, I've kind of entertained the idea of watching it, but I, I think I would like to at some point. It is. It's very of its time. It's very. It's Canadian made. <laughs> That's of why course. you get a lot of Canadian actors on it. It is cheaply done. Very. Um, and they cut a lot of stuff, and then they invented some new stuff. There's no taxes, um, which is fair. They dumb down, like there's no violence. They dumb, they dumb it all down. Um, I don't, I don't know. They, they, they did it. And like, as a kid, I watched every episode because I loved it and I wanted to be a part of it. And this was the only way I'm getting Animorphs in this medium. Um, as an adult and, you know, growing up, I was like, oh yeah, that was a waste. People who thought Animorphs was the TV show, I have to defend. Like, I have to defend the books mm -hmm. from those people. Um, but I watched every episode, and they did. They did the. They did one where like Jake falls into the Yurk pool and gets infected. Infested. Like they did the, an axe episode where he's in his human form, just trying to like like explore earth they did the elemist they didn't do eric the chi as far as i remember and later on in the final episode tobias gets his power to turn back to himself through some technology oh okay that's good work that's a good place to cap things and that's where it ends well, I think the show the show ended way before the books did, didn't it? Oh, oh yeah, like it ended in like ninety eight. Okay, yeah, yeah. It only went to two seasons. Yeah, like yeah. I feel like I feel like Animorphs is an extremely difficult like franchise to adapt to television or film because a lot of it focuses. It's not intended to be body horror, but it is body horror just in the way they describe the transformations. And I feel like. Even with like very advanced like CGI technology, it's still going to look kind of ridiculous. Yeah. I, I, I think I think Animorphs would work really well animated, personally. Yeah. I was like, yeah. yeah. Like um, I, I was thinking, like an invincible type show. <laughs> exactly. It depends on whether they're willing to accept that Animorphs has violence. Yeah. As a franchise, That'd be part of it too. I think it's like they want to have like the fun superhero antics without the actual like the violence the the threats the paranoia all that stuff yeah i think it's it's not so much that inorse would be difficult to make into a tv show like accurately it would be really hard to market because yes. like either they have to age the kids up and make it like a college thing and then that changes some of the story so they can market it to older people because of the violence or they have to to dumb it down to a certain level because you're not going to let your middle schooler watch this show you know which we let them read the books but we're not gonna you know people are less mm -hmm. comfortable with that so, so i would agree fair. i would agree until the rise of ya fiction 
the rock like animorphs is young adult it did i i don't feel like that that word or category existed at the time it's well it, it didn't because it wasn't <clears throat> um because it was middle grade oh. middle grade was its own thing Oh. Um, for a very long time. Harry Potter kind of blew that out of the water because they progressively got more advanced. And so the YA category basically came into being in like 2004, 2005 ish, when that was like still going on. But, um, and YA is more of a marketing tactic than it is technically a genre of books. We see that now where a lot of like new adult books are getting meshed into young adult because it's not really its own category of, of genre. genre. Um, but back when Animorphs was coming out, when they were doing the scholastic, like the Goosebumps stuff, that was middle grade fiction. That's the category that it was. So like it was designed for kids from about nine to about 14 ish so that's why it feels weird and you don't get a lot because middle grade has kind of gone by the wayside in favor of ya so you don't get a lot of books marketed towards middle schoolers anymore but that's what it was that's why it feels weird i feel like so. you could market a new animorphs movie or series the way hunger games is like hunger games had death it had violence it had political uh you'd still uh, have to right? age it up a little bit it would still, because I know it sounds stupid, but the difference between like a 13 year old audience for like, um, you know, Animorphs and whatnot, and like a 16 year old audience for Hunger Games or for like Twilight, it feels weird because it's only three years, but like that's a huge developmental gap for kids. So like you'd still have to change it a little bit, but I think you're right. I think that they, if they could just push the age up a little bit, it would be a lot more acceptable. Kind of like Harry Potter, like Harry Potter starts off young yeah. and then gets darker as the characters get older. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think when it comes to marketing the show, like in terms of like the violence they experience, because it doesn't get, ex it's always dark, but like the really explicit things don't happen until later on in the series when they're a bit older, but they're still surrounded by a lot of violence at the start. I think that would be very controversial, especially if you cast age accurate, which I feel would be important to the series. Like, yeah, as a whole, because a huge aspect of the message is the impact of war on children. So yeah, I think that would be, I think it's possible, but getting people to jump on it would be extremely difficult. It would just be one big, you got to trust me. You got to trust me. <laughs> Come on, yeah. I promise it'll be good. They, they've, talked with... about, uh, they've talked about adapting it for a while. Like a movie, they announced a, like there would be a movie in 2015, but then Kay Applegate and Michael Grant, uh, uh, her husband, like detached themselves from the project at a certain point. Yeah which which uh and then i don't know there's rumors all over the place about what's gonna happen but i don't know pat what are you gonna say i think i do agree with lucky in regards to like the children's age being really important um to the storytelling of the series i do think um one thing you could really look to well it depends on like who you're marketing are you marketing it to kids nowadays or are you marketing it to the adults that used to watch animal or used to read animorphs I think that's a very big part in how you'd play it. And I think if you're marketing it to the adults who watch anim who, who watch animals, I think you could still pull off having them as younger kids. Um, and for my example for that, I look to the popularity of Stranger Things, which started out with a very young cast in an explicitly horror setting. Yeah. I think right now is the time. I think so, like, too, with the rise of kind of, like, would you classify the the animals as superheroes? But right now, the edgy superhero genre, like the subversions of the superhero yeah. <laughs> genre, are really really popular. But shows like Invincible and The Boys. I think that even though Animorphs doesn't quite have some of the messaging those shows does, I think it could still very much fit into that genre as like a strong anti-war show. 
Yeah. Yeah. Me personally, I wouldn't, I would only like, I would want live action, but I would all, cause I think you could do it now. Like you could, you could, you could do five episode seasons of Animorphs and just like really just give it your, your all. If it's on HBO, if it's whatever, like, I don't know. Um, but animated would be cool for like an, an Andalite Chronicles, Corpusier Chronicles, Elemist, maybe parts of Visser. I don't know. Um, one one funny little anecdote that I did read about um, in regards to the TV show and its production uh, was, you know, how hard it was to do the aliens because, you know, they're some pretty radically designed aliens. But I did hear that prior to, um, like, you know, when Kay Applegate was originally writing the books, they were more, more like Star Trek rubber nose type aliens, rubber nose, rubber ears type uh, type vibes, or it's just like, you know, it's a it's basically a person with prosthetics. And then someone at Scholastic was like, hey, can you be a little bit more creative with the alien designs? And so then Kay Applegate was like, okay, this is like a seven foot tall lizard dude with like spikes coming out of him. This is a giant centipede. And this is a blue centaur with a bladed tail and eye stalks and no mouth which then came around to bite them in the ass when they made the TV show. And like, it was so difficult to put these aliens in live action scenes. Yeah. Um, I I only noticed as an adult, how m- much of a Star Trek fan K.A. Applegate would have been because mm-hmm. the Andorians, which are Star Trek, it's a Star Trek race. They're called Andorians look like the face of an Andalite, except they have mouths, but they have eye stalks. They're blue skinned. They do have hair, but like if you look up an Andorian, you can tell like Andalites are kind of based off Andorians. Oh, well, there are like whole plots that are just lifted directly from Star Trek episodes in these books. So like the one you remember the one where Rachel like turns into a starfish and gets split in half. Oh, and, like there's an evil Rachel and a good Rachel. That's a yeah. Star Trek episode. That's the enemy within. That's like straight up just a Star Trek episode. Yeah. So like yeah, I think she's definitely very inspired. I mean, sci-fi tropes have always been around, but Star Trek mm-hmm. took sci- like a different sci-fi trope and made them into episodes and then changed science fiction forever through serialized storytelling with sci- science fiction tropes. Um, uh, I mean, the Helmicrons, like just being a thing, it's the weirdest thing. The ant that learns to morph. Oh, man. Scary. Remember that one? <laughs> that was that one. That oh, that was, was, oh, that was so much. Go, go ahead. The, the, the bull, it was a bull that learns to morph, right? First, and then it's an ant that learns to morph. That it was, was, a, it was a buffalo. Oh, it's a buffalo. Okay. It's a buffalo. Yeah, it's a buffalo that like gains, it touches the cube and gains the ability to morph. And it morphs into Cassie. And Cassie's like, oh, like, you know, because the, the, the Yurts had developed a form of technology that allowed them to track the cube. And so they were trying to get away with the cube. And the, um, the buffalo in in morphing into Cassie kind of sort of pack bonded with them and uh, was kind of following them around and had seen them morph. And they're like, okay, if they see this buffalo morph, they're going to infest it and they're going to get our identities. And everyone's like, kill the buffalo. But Cassie's like, hey, the buffalo morphed, morphed into a person just now. Um, it probably, like, you know, in the same way we get the animal's brain, it got a person's brain. It probably is, it's, it's probably a little bit sentient right now. Um, and so there's this whole moral debate around killing the buffalo. Um, which is really funny because later on an, an ant touches the cube and morphs into Cassie and at like and just starts screaming. 
it just starts screaming because it has developed consciousness. Yeah. It cannot comprehend. It cannot deal with it and just starts screaming. And unlike the buffalo, Cassie kills it immediately. Yeah. That's that's it. That's a, a story that doesn't mean to be like when you adapt something, you should keep the best stories and create some new ones that can explore the concept. Those there are filler episodes that you do net you don't ever need to touch. You mean you For don't sure. want to see the top-notch yeah. existential horror of an egg? Uh <laughs> no. Human level consciousness. No. I you don't know. see Cassie Stomper itself to death. Why not? <laughs> Um, oh, like in terms of filler, I drop out. There's like a lot of books where they're just kind of like yeeted to like some far flung part of the world, and like they meet like a kid from that area, and they kind of just like the kid like he's, they like they they morph in front of the kid, and the kid's like, oh, it's cool. I have a story from my culture about animals morphing, so this is not unsettling <laughs> at all. There's like at least like two to three books with that plot, and I think we could cut down at least two of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, do you guys see it as a movie or as a series? A series. You, a series. Yeah. Definitely a series. Not a series. It'd be hard to movies? do as a movie. I think yeah, I, just with 54 books, I think it would be so difficult to compress them into like a trilogy or maybe even four or five movies just because of the amount of content you have to pack in. A lot is going to have to be cut out. Even if you make them like two and a half hours, even if, even if you go Avatar with it, three hour movies, I still don't think you can effectively capture the like certain developments that occur. If you... If you were to split the whole Animorphs timeline into five movies, mm. is that enough? I feel like three is not enough because one movie has to be the David trilogy. Mm. Yes. And, and uh, if, well, you you trip, if you do a you want to do Chronicles, like oh. you want to do backstory or not. I would say no. Let's just say it's Chronicles aside. Megamorphs could be a thing, but Chronicles aside. And you'd have so to think... mix and match. We would need to stories, create. Right? The ACU, the Animorph Cinematic Universe. Oh, no! <laughs> and then we would be able to effectively produce the Chronicles and the Megamorphs. I start with Cork Major Chronicles, with the main series is a TV show, everything else is movies. <laughs> I think Look, the if... main problem with adapting as movies is that um as much as it like this like the ho- high volume of books definitely makes it seem like okay, we can like put all these all this in a movie, but the thing is why there's a high volume of books they're all very short and so mm. you'd have to like do like five books in a movie and i don't think like as a movie the story would could really flow very well from book to book to justify it as a movie uh, or it wouldn't be a movie so much it would be like as like a collection of short films yeah, yeah that's fair i mean you could also completely rewrite the structure of the series to make a five movie series yeah. You know, like first book is the yeah. first five kids. Second book, they introduce Axe and then throw in whatever they have to deal with. Third movie, David. Fourth movie, something else. And then the fi- fifth movie, the final stuff. Oh, I think it's possible. I think the big debate would be what to keep and what to Axe. I, no pun intended, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, because there's no space for the Elemist anywhere in a five movie. In a five it just movie shows series. up in the first one, and then we don't talk about him again for a long time. 
Because he's he's here somewhere. We don't know what's going on with him. (laughs) Pat, did you say post-credit scene for the Elmist? Yeah, yeah. The the, the Elmist is the post-credit scene of the first movie. It's Samuel L. Jackson? (laughs) Yes, it is Samuel L. Jackson. Um, I think we've got something great here, guys. Let's pitch it. (laughs) Yeah, you can't get into the Elmist or the Krayak or the Howlers or the Pemelite and the Chi. You can't get into any of them. You'd, you'd have to reorder a lot of things in order to, like, have, like, arcs, really. Um, and not just, like, you know, random adventure, the movie. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because that's kind of the thing. Everything builds upon itself. That's what we've been talking about this whole time, right? Like, they expanded so much and did so many different storylines that then, hopefully, came together in the end. The ones that mattered. The Helmicrons never come back. I mean, there's two books of the Helmicrons, and then that's it. But, like... They don't join the final fight. Like, they're just their own. Oh, yeah, thing. no, they, they never come back. They have, like, two books, and then they never come back after that, if I, if I recall. Yeah. Um, but, no, I agree with you guys. I'm just, I'm trying to, I'm trying to brainstorm here. I'm trying to, you know, we do the work so that, I guess, Sony has the rights to it. Sony can, we don't. you know. We do the work uh, so Sony doesn't have to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, no, I think a series would work. Yeah. to really explore the characters and the concepts because it's more than just an action movie right of course I feel like animated episodes 45 minutes a piece I think that's more than 30 to 45 minutes I feel like that's more than enough time to s- summarize book to book um, yeah. we do 8 to 10 episode seasons 5 seasons yeah, yeah. I, think that, yeah. I think that works out perfectly I mean, and they, I, I would want them to create new episodes. Like, if you're going to do something like that, like, with what we know today, create new episodes of this series that takes place in the past. Yeah, definitely. Because they are, there are certain filler episodes that can be swapped out. We don't need yeah. the Andalite toilet one. <laughs> you don't need the Andalite toilet one. Probably not. No. We, um, we can have um, the Atlanteans as a side feature. They just pop up. They're a jump scare. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's in the background of some scenes unsettlingly <laughs> they morph into whales and go Jesus Christ and immediately <laughs> that's just like the opening like the opening like the cold open before the, the opening credits they're like yeah. hey we're, 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 we're whales what's down there inbred Atlanteans never mind let's go to the real plot of the episode <laughs> goodbye um I I I loved Animorph so much and like I continue to love it and it just hurts. Like I mean the only thing I guess to look forward to for me is like these graphic novels, right? But like in 2023, what's the impact of what's the impact of Animorphs? Without imagining what could happen, what's the impact of Animorphs? Either on you individually or just like society as a whole? I don't know. Hmm. I think the timing of like the last book of Animorphs was very important because of 9-11, because of the fact that we were just sort of relaunched into a series of wars. And I think had to have like a series marketed towards younger people that has such an explicitly anti-war message in a country that tends to be very pro-war, that has that 
whose military funds movies and TV shows that glorify war is extremely important. It doesn't paint it as something glorious. It doesn't paint victory as absolute. It's just a tragic, it's just a tragedy for everybody involved in it. And I think that's a very impactful and important message to have or, and for children to have access to. I, I yeah. definitely agree with that. It's why it bothers me so much. I, I When I talk about Animorphs on TikTok, and I feel like people are kind of refused to engage with the, uh, a lot of people feel kind of refuse to engage with the idea of the kids not being morally perfect, even though that's like one of like the main, that's like the main linchpin of the series is examining the morality of these kids doing what they're doing and like, you know, whether or not they can stay good people. And a lot of people are just willing to, um, write it off as like oh no the yurks are bad it's fine that jake you know flushed a billion of them out in space um and they're not willing to engage with the idea that like hey you know maybe we should examine this further um rather than just being like okay they won cool so let's celebrate um so i do think a story like that is very is very important uh people seem to be willing to engage with it in in that aspect and it's, uh, it's Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, you, you, you can go ahead. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, I think that the way that Animorphs tackled heavy subjects, and especially the way that it is... Have you guys read the thing that K.A. Applegate has said about the ending of Animorphs, the article yes. that they put, out, or they put out a few years ago? Yeah, it's great. But I think that the ending, um, that it was a downer ending, that it was like the reality of war and leading into another conflict and all of that. Um, but there was like a huge pickup in dystopian books in... Um, like middle grade slash YA literature following the Animorphs like five, 10 years later. And a lot of that has to do with like just the state of the nation at the time, right? But I feel like a lot of it does have a reaction to Animorphs being successful and being popular and kids being willing to read these like dark stories because the other popular books at that time, like you had Goosebumps and those were scary, but it wasn't the same, you know? Like that was like a supernatural kind of this is just meant to be a scary book. It didn't necessarily have real world um, parallels the way that Animorphs absolutely does. And it was that and then like the Babysitter's Club. And so I think the willingness of young people to read these books and take the messages seriously pushed authors later like Suzanne Collins to be like, hey, we can write about serious subjects for kids and they're going to get it. And I think that that made a big impact, even though the books weren't as popular as the stuff that came later. I think that the impact on that stuff is still significant. So. I agree. I think it was definitely a gateway into what is allowed for children. Um, what can children understand and like children at war is a concept in like every YA thing after that point yep. it wasn't before that as far as I remember like children at animals war. at war it was like football <laughs> it was switched from animals to kids oh yeah 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 oh uh, yeah football animals at war yeah you're cat. right yeah <laughs> that's funny animorphs is the middle ground there was animals at war then there was animorphs at war which are both animals and children yeah. and then it became children at war <laughs> Right. Do you think it'll be uh, cyclical? Do you think we'll go back to animals? Then back to animals <laughs> to children. Well, we had warrior cats. I'm pretty sure they came after animorphs. They so, did have fear, yeah, right after. That what means warrior that, cats? those were violent. Those were violent. Those were frighteningly violent. Oh, I don't I don't know about warrior cats, but okay. Oh that's another podcast episode. <laughs> that's a whole. Bring me a, I, bring I never, I never finished reading those, but that's like a whole thing. On Did anyone? Yeah. Are they still writing them? I feel like those are still coming out. They're I can't imagine coming. that ever stopping. Still coming out. 
Oh God. But circling back to what you said about um, the difference they made for like what children's literature looked like, I feel like that's so important because for me personally, when I've made videos on the topic, I see so many comments like expressing shock that this is a children's series that children are able to grasp that. And I feel that people, as they get older, forget that children aren't just kind of like living in like this like magical world of like cotton candy and lollipops and that a lot of children do want to engage with complex material like they even sometimes have an outright aversion to like quote-unquote kid-friendly stuff because they view it as babyish and condescending so I feel like series like Animorphs that actually respected children's intellect paved the way for other fiction that did the same I learned more from Animorphs from not real books than I did with the real books that like teachers would would push on us. Um, I learned, yeah, I, I just, I learned so much from it. And people are like, how did you know that? Like people nowadays are still like, how did you know that about like this animal thing? And I'm like, it's animals, baby. <laughs> what can animals. I say? <laughs> do you guys do that thing that I feel like I do every single time I see a bunch of birds like in an updraft circling? I'm like, that's a thermal. I know about that. I know about that. <laughs> every time I cannot stop myself. Every time. <laughs> oh my god. That's having a great animal. time. <laughs> There's an animal shit posting group I'm in on Facebook where like they thermals is just a meme unto itself. <laughs> so and, like, many times. There's someone who got like a t-shirt printed with thermals written in like the thought speech brackets. And I'm just like, oh my god, I need that. <laughs> god, I that too. Um I I uh I would always keep an eye out for for birds. And like, is that a red-tailed hawk? I tried to track down when I was a kid where the animorphs are supposed to be by the hints that are in the books. And because again, yeah, the premise of the book is we can't tell you where we who who we are, can't tell you where you're from. Uh, you know, the Yurks are out there. Uh and so I was trying to be like, okay, where are red-tailed hawks in the wild? So on and so forth. But in my whole equation of like charting out like where are the wolves, where are the whatever, uh, I misinterpreted where red-tailed hawks were. And I thought it was only on the eastern part of the US. So then I only narrowed down there. But it turns out there's red-tailed hawks here in California, because I'm in California, and I didn't know, so I counted California out. But it turns out, I think, they're all in California. They are, they are. Uh, they reveal they reveal it at the end of the series. And it's, um, I remember, like, you know, I was kind of half-heartedly trying to be like, oh, okay, they're next to a desert, and they're next to an ocean. I don't know why I didn't put together California earlier when I realized they were both, that they had easy access to both a desert and an ocean. That should have clicked in way earlier, but it didn't. Yeah. Um, in regards to them trying to keep their location secret, a lot of people pointed out that, like, they talk about a lot of town events. Very, very brutal. Oh. At, one point they're, at, like, at one point, they're like, oh, yeah, there's, like, a massive political meeting, like, nearby us. And it's like, oh, so I'm not sure if, like, you could Google that very easily in the 1990s, but I'm sure you could figure it out. Like, if, like, if, like let's say you're in the hypothetical world where this is happening and animals are telling you this, and it's like, oh, yeah, there was, like, a major meeting of political leaders uh, near us. And it's like, okay. The U.N., the right? Yeah, yeah, I think it was the, think it was the U.N., yeah. Well, what always yeah. knocked me out about the whole, like, our, our location is secret thing is they say several times that the Yurk pool in their town is the only one there. It's the only one, like, in the country. And they talk about it being in their town all the time. So, like, Not what in the, is in the, the country? Point? 
it's the only yeah. one in the country yeah, it's it the is. only one and so like what's the point of them being like we can't tell you where we are by the way we're in the only town in the country with the yerk pool so don't let don't tell the yerks that like Wait. what <laughs> it how, how is it the only one in the country there's no yerks it's in the only other one states? like within three days of travel it's the only one they can get to so like yeah, no, the no, other yerks like the ones that are going to die because they shut off the condrona ray they can't go anywhere because there's nowhere close enough with a pool Oh yeah, for most of the series, right? everything everything's pretty local. Like nothing, they yeah. like the Yurks are pretty concentrated in Cali in like California and that area. They're they're not really like spread out throughout the United States or even the world to any real extent, per se. Which is why when they get yeeted to like uh, Antarctica or um, Australia in that one book, they're super comfortable morphing in front of like random strangers. Yeah, um, I I do want to point out. I don't know if you guys know this. There are two streets named Chapman um, near me in nearby cities. And there's a Visser florist in a nearby city. Interesting. And I always Very was like, did K, did, was K.A. Applegate around here? I don't, like, isn't that weird? Because I, I, li like, I grew up in the suburbs of Orange County. And like, I'm close enough to like a bunch of different things. The gardens are supposed to be like the the San Diego Zoo, the LA Zoo? I don't know. I remember I remember thinking that the gardens were a real place because I remember in my childhood knowing that there was a place that was sort of like a amusement park slash zoo slash aquarium. Bush Gardens. I, 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 yeah, something like that, right? Yeah, I don't remember what it was called, but um, so I remember thinking, oh yeah, the gardens, that's a normal place. And I, I, I was trying to, as a child, I wanted to like, isolate the animorphs locations by figuring out where Bush Gardens was. But they do also very explicitly say the name of their local amusement park, which is very funny now that I'm pointing out I'm thinking about that. <laughs> what is, what do they call it? What is it? It's called the gardens. Like they, they capitalize yeah. it. So I'm assuming that's like its actual name. So I'm like that's yeah. Anyone could triangulate their location very easily if like in universe if they were given that information. Yeah. Yeah. You see, the Animorphs couldn't practice internet safety because they didn't have the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, that that's that's okay, yeah. Now I'm I'm well you, well you know they met one guy in a chat room and it turned out he was a cannibal. So um, you know, like <laughs> there's your internet your lessons. safety lessons. <laughs> Foreshadowing for the current state of affairs. <laughs> um I don't know if anyone has any closing thoughts about uh, what Animorphs means to them, um, but it meant a lot for me when I was younger. And it hurts that it's over, and it also hurts that like we only get one more chance if they do an adaptation for them to do it at all. If they do one, it's just one more chance. And uh, I would hope that if they do it, they would do it right. Or they take the concept... Last I heard, there was a rumor that they were going to make it a comedy. Like, who knows? <laughs> you know, but I, uh, I would, I mean, I would like a faithful adaptation from the '90s. I think it would be visually different enough that it could be its own thing. That you know, you wouldn't need much. Like everybody loves the '80s, and now we're moving out of '80s aesthetic in media to '90s aesthetic. Bring Animorphs <laughs> back. Yeah, I Don't think make that would it a parody really... of the 90s. Make of it a course. political thriller from the 90s. Yeah, I agree you know? With that. But I absolutely agree with that. It, it, it's sad that, like, 
Yeah, just something that, like, I loved so much, so dearly, probably won't get a second life. That's just the way it is, well, right? One thing that the one thing that's really sad, but like you know, like you know, we had the animorphs, we had the books, and it's that's cool. But like, there's no real legacy. It feels to it like there's no real. Hey, there's still people talking about these books, even though they were published uh, 20 years ago. In the same way that you have like with other, uh, with uh, with other with other fandoms uh, that were you know around during the 90s, like you know, Goosebumps. I feel like still like you know people still talk about Goosebumps. It, it, it's kind of a household name in a way that Animorphs isn't. Um, a- Animorphs is kind of just like, hey, like once a year, someone on Twitter mentioned something ridiculous that happened in Animorphs, and everyone like goes, wait, the books with the funny covers? Are you, are you, are you shit? Wait, what? What was going on in those books? And then there's like a whole Twitter thread about it, and then everyone forgets, and then we repeat ad nauseum once a year. Um, and that's kind of what Animorphs has right now. Um, and you know, I like I said, I hope for I hope for an adaptation. I I would love to I would love for an animated series. Um, you know, like like uh, like Lefty was saying, um, eight to ten episodes, 20, 35 minute episodes. I think that would be a really good format for it. Um, and and one that didn't really pull the punches of the series and like respected children the same way that the series respects uh the children. Yeah. I um yeah. I do have some hopes in regards to the longevity of Animorphs because as of late I've witnessed a bit of an Animorphs res- renaissance <laughs> on my social media timelines. I don't know if that's just algorithmic coincidence, but I've noticed quite a few people, younger people too, like in their teens, drawing fan art for the series. Some very popular book talkers doing deep dives in which they go book by book so i do think there is still like a market that's interested and i have high hopes that market is able to sustain itself i'm hoping that with the visual novels that sparks more people's interest because it's more easy to grasp like a very visually engaging concept like the animorphs through a visual medium so we'll see what the future holds hopefully they're great like i can't i can't state it enough like (laughs) <laughs> Look at the taxons. Oh, dear. Oh. Why are they adorable? They look <laughs> adorable, and they're getting lasered through the face. Oh. Um, I don't know how violent it gets. I haven't read this one. But, like... Ooh, but the body horror? They do it right. Like, look at that morph. <laughs> oh, God. Of Cassian oh, to this fish. Oh, that's the, good. The um in-betweens in that are so funny because there's a few panels where they're all either morphing or demorphing, and there's just these, these very funny outlines of their bodies while they're like trying to scurry around like tiptoe through dark streets. Um there's the memes that people bring up. There's like those. Animorph covers well they'll do people will do their like pit bull turning into a pit bull. You know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like that's the biggest legacy of Animorphs is the covers, which is sad. That's really unfortunate. It is. Yeah. By the way, so there's this shirt. I wanted to show you guys. There's this shirt. Oh, wonderful. Excellent. And then this one's cool because it's a bookmark. Oh, I, I love it. it. It's like a stained glass bookmark looking thing with That's all really the animals I like and axe. I just got them, so I haven't worn them out yet, but you know, uh, looking forward to that. 
Uh, Kirby, did you have any final thoughts? Uh, kind of same. Yeah, I think that hopefully there might be some kind of pickup again in interest because people are getting older. People who like enjoyed these things and they were coming out are old enough to like be making content now. Um, and yeah, I think that is something that could be interpreted or adapted very, very successfully, also very unsuccessfully. So like, let's just hope that if we get one, it goes the right way because there are a lot of ways that this could go wrong. Um, and I think we all know that because it is a very delicate balance. But if they get it right, then that would be incredible. So hopefully we'll see. For every Last of Us, right? Yeah. <laughs> we get we get a, I don't know, what's the most recent failure of an adaptation? Um, Artemis Fowl. People hated that, that <laughs> TV show. They really hated that one. Which one? Halo. They hated the Halo adaptation. Oh, yeah, the Halo. Yeah, for Last of Us and Halo, as far as video game <laughs> adaptations mm -hmm. yeah the artemis fowl is a good example though because that one could have got that would that would i feel like that's such an easy book to adapt it would have been movie. so, I don't know how it they screwed been it so up easy so bad. to well oh my but, god anyway <laughs> you know it's we like, can what, hope what if we took everything that made him good and then just got rid of it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and also it's not funny anymore either for some reason it's just <laughs> uh i never got into artemis fowl so i just heard oh. the movie was bad and i never watched it I, I will say I'll say that the same way that um, the Elemist made Kirby insufferable for a while, <laughs> Artemis Fowl made me fucking insufferable. Insufferable. Everyone insufferable. Everyone who read Artemis Fowl had to be like quarantined together socially. Obnoxious. <laughs> 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 you were terrible. <laughs> Wait, Kirby, did you get all your Elemist thoughts out? Uh, probably not, but that's okay because that's too many thoughts. No, I like the Elemist. <laughs> I thought that it was um probably like objectively super unnecessary that character didn't need to be there we didn't need to have a god but i liked it i liked the story um i thought that the idea that he started off as this like lame gamer guy and then became a god was like very interesting and weird um and i also like that i don't think you're supposed to like him i don't think you're supposed to like the elemist or like really sympathize with him that much by the end of it um which is an interesting angle for the god in a kid's book but i liked it i also it's it's the book itself, I read part of it the other day when we were getting ready for this because, like, I'm trying to remember was this actually clever when I read it or was I just nine? Um, and it's it's got it's got some clever elements, but yeah, no, definitely it was just one of those things where you read it when you're like a kid and you're like, I understood this, so clearly I'm a genius and better than everyone, and that just stays for a little while. <laughs> but no, it's fun. It's a fun book. <laughs> there was also uh in in the in the book where Jake on the cover, Jake's turning into an older version of Jake. They never explain who those things were at the end. They don't. They don't? They do not. That's just kind of like left up to to interpretation, honestly, as to like whether or not like Jake was hallucinating. Was he really in the future? Yeah. I thought he was like a trickster, was... like a trickster god sort of situation. Like it's, it's not really made clear, honestly. Yeah. 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 The familiar, I think was what it was called. Yes, yes, um, yes. Um, but at the end of the Elemist book, you don't see who he's talking to, and yeah, it alludes yes. that the person is dead, right? Mm -hmm. Um, well, yeah, that's the thing is they like announced one of the Animorphs was gonna die, and then they put the Elemist book out, and then the last book didn't come out for like months, yeah. So <laughs> that, oh, that sounds my heart, Rachel. Yeah, I wasn't dying, around for that one, but I know that that's what happened. Rachel dying broke my heart, and uh. I, I, I was okay. I didn't. Rachel wasn't my favorite character, but I was in love with Rachel, like <laughs> as a person in my heart. Um, but the final thing 
that Elvis, like she asked Elvis, is did I matter before she disappears into nothingness? And he's like, yes, you mattered. And that's that. And it hurts me every time. Imagine if he was like, yeah. no, not really. This is basically a video game. <laughs> what was your name again? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, one of the one of the real tragedies yeah, of uh, Rachel's death, I mean, outside of you know Rachel herself dying, was um seeing where Jake ended up because like Jake started the war to save his brother, and he ends the war, ordering his and sending his his cousin on a suicide mission to murder his brother. Carrying out, like you know, giving the order to have his brother killed, watching her eat him alive, and then watching her die. Yeah, and it's 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 just a real tragedy. It's like it's it's just a real tragedy when you see where he started versus where he ended up. Yeah, so honestly, that could apply to like every single one of these characters. But then he goes to trial. Yeah, I like that they included the trial. I figured they would just skip over all of that, but I like seeing it. It was interesting. Yeah. That's wild. Um, sorry, was something to say? Oh, I said very wild. I feel like that's a good way to sum up the series. You finish it and you go, "Wow, that was <laughs> wild." I, I feel like the Elemist at the end. Did the Animorph series matter? Yes, it mattered. You know, um, I want to thank you guys so much for coming on the show today and talking about Animorphs with me. Uh, this is something I've been waiting for since uh, I didn't even know what podcasts were uh, when I was a kid, you know? Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, 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 for being guests on this show. Before we get going, uh, I want to ask, where can people find you online? Because uh, people watching the live stream on Twitch or YouTube uh, can't, uh, or they can see where to find you online, but people listening to the podcast, wherever they get their podcast from Apple podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher, um, they can't see it. So, uh, where can we find you online? What do you got coming up? Anything that you want to plug? Uh, Kirby, you want to go first? Uh, I am mostly on TikTok at Kirby.Alice. I'm doing a lot of Game of Thrones content. If you want any of that, I've got, um, a whole series on House of the Dragon coming up pretty soon. So just that's what I'm doing right now. That's all I got. <laughs> all right. All right. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, Lefty, where can people find you? Hi, my name is Lucky Lefty. You can find me um, on TikTok by the same username. I am currently working on a series on Agretsuko, and I will be doing one on you very soon. So keep an eye out for that if that interests you. On on what? What was the last one? You. Time? You from Netflix. Yes. Oh, oh Y-O-U. I was like, <laughs> on me? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yes, I didn't sign off on this, but I trust you. <laughs> uh, but okay, cool. All right, all right. Uh, and Pat, where can we find you? What do you got coming up? Um, diamond quality, um, diamond quality clips on in, on not Instagram on TikTok. Where I don't have anything specific coming up. It's mostly just whatever thoughts I have on my brain about what whatsoever character and whatsoever universe. Um, I also I. I did previously use my my TikTok as a cosplay TikTok for cosplay stuff. I'm hoping to get back into that very soon, thankfully. I also have a cosplay Instagram, Diamond Quality Cosplay. Um, again, hoping to post more there soon. And a photography Instagram, uh, Diamond Quality Photography, where I, it's recent, relatively recent, but I started doing uh, paid shoots for photographer cosplayers in, in the New York, New Jersey area. Awesome. Awesome. Um, 
Thank you guys so much for coming on here. Thank you to anybody out there for watching and or listening. If you want to know more about The Keeg, uh, you can find us on social media at The Keeg Show. Uh, TikTok and Instagram are our biggest ones. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, but you can pretty much find us anywhere at The Keeg Show or slash The Keeg Show. Uh, the Keeg Talks is every weekend where we talk about a different topic. Um, this uh, week was Animorphs. I forget what I have scheduled next week, but trust me, there's something scheduled next week. You can find our schedule on uh, Instagram. That's our probably our, our easiest one. Um, but you, if you want just like wild content, TikTok is uh, probably more for you. Um, we also got the Mandalorian after show coming out. Uh, we're going to do them after every single Mandalorian episode when it starts in March 1st. Uh, we also have Comic Talk every Thursday where we talk about different comic releases. So definitely uh, do that. We're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash the show if you want to give back to the show. We always got something going on. So thank you everybody out there for watching, listening, Kirby, Lefty, Pat for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Taking time out of your day to be here um, to talk about Animorphs. But yes, uh, thank you guys so much for watching. Once again, I'm your host, Demetri Pereira, and this has been the Keeg Talks Animorphs. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.